0: Hey bowlers, Bowling This Month is back. Bowling This Month is bowling's trusted technical resource that's relied upon by thousands of serious bowlers, pro shop operators, and professional coaches. From independent ball reviews to great instructional articles on all facets of our sport, you'll find it all at BowlingThisMonth.com. For less than the price of a cup of coffee per month, you can have online access to Bowling This Month's premium technical bowling content that will help you improve your game. Bowling This Month is so confident you'll be satisfied, they're offering a 14-day money-back guarantee to all subscribers. Check out BowlingThisMonth.com and sign up today. You can hear Above 180 on Stitcher's Smart Radio. Stitcher allows you to listen to your favorite shows directly from your iPhone, Android phone, Kindle Fire, and beyond, on demand and on the go. Don't have Stitcher? Download it for free at Stitcher.com or in the app stores. Stitcher Smart Radio, the smarter way to listen to radio. BowlerX.com, your online bowling equipment superstore, presents the Above180.com podcast. Tim Berg is ready to hit the lanes, approaching the issues that you, the bowler, want to know. From the latest equipment reviews, coaching, to drilling layouts, and the stars of the PBA. Now, here's your host,
1: Tim Berg. Joining me today on the Above180.com podcast is J.R. Raymond. J.R. is an Ebonite International staffer. He's also a PBA bowler. Remember, he made a TV show back in the uh, summer swing, it was last year in 2014. Thought it'd be great to catch up with JR, kind of talk about bowling. So JR, Tim Berg here, thanks for joining me today. Sure, no problem. Thanks for having me. Well, JR, I thought it'd be good to catch up with you a little bit because a couple things going on that have your name being brought up. And I want to get first off, get your thoughts. We had a couple tournaments recently where there was some bowling going on and it was, you know, some of the shots there was some competition, some kind of some questions as to the shots and how, how difficult they were, and you just said, you know what, I'm going to sit this one out. So talk about that decision and then I guess even how you feel a tournament shot should be set up and, you know, if you were the lane man, so to speak, for a tournament, what sort of pattern we'd see from JR.
2: Sure. Um, I, I've been trying to explain to people on, on Facebook, and it's, it's really, really hard to do. I mean, without actually talking to people and, and being able to show them what I'm trying to say, it's almost impossible to get things through words on, on paper. Um, I have my beliefs. I, I'm a big believer. I love the game. I love the sport. Um, I'm very, very, very passionate about this. And, and I like to see things go in a, in a certain direction in which I think will build bowling down the road instead of looking right now. Um, when it comes to tournament patterns and stuff, and especially when you're bowling for large money, um, and I've talked to to proprietors and people who run tournaments and everything uh, many, many times. People always ask me my opinion on stuff, and, and I have no problem telling it. Anybody that knows me knows how, I'll tell you exactly how I feel, I and mean, it's not a big deal. I don't believe in sugarcoating things, and, and I, I don't think really anybody should. Um, but as far as the tournament pattern goes, if you're bowling in a tournament, it should be something uh, flatter. I mean, just general and flatter. Uh, and it depends on which way you want to go with that. If you want to go and say you want scores to be, you know, you don't want them to be you don't want to be in too low, but you don't want to be too high. You still want to, you know, grab some of those guys who, you know, they don't think they can compete on tour, but they want to try to bowl some of these tougher events. I think you go with like a four to one, five to one type pattern. You know, uh, if you're trying to bowl something for big money, anything, you know, you start getting into the 20,000, 10,000, 15, you know, bigger money type events, I don't think you should ever put anything out that's lower than, or that's higher than like a three to one or two to one pattern. I mean, it's gotta be something tough. And my, my reasoning for that is because I don't feel like the guys that put all this time and effort into getting better and to sharpening their tools and gaining little tricks to be better on, the tournament type patterns should be punished by having somebody put say an easier pattern out and just give away free ball reaction to people. So my question to everybody is why is why should we bowl for $10,000 on a pattern in which you know I, I don't I don't want to sound degrading to anybody but like a leap bowler, you know, wh- why should a league bowler be able to walk into a tournament and bowl in a house pattern and have automatic hold in the middle and automatic hook to the right. So, I mean, I just, it doesn't make sense to me to try to level the playing field. And I always hear from guys, they say, well, you know, not everybody has the time to practice and all that. Well, I understand that. you got family. People have other obligations. That's fine. No big deal. But if that's the case, you know, wh- why do we have to just give it to them when everybody, when there's a big, big group that has actually worked for it? and they actually do it for a living. It just doesn't make sense to me. So everybody says, uh, well, you should be able to score on anything. You're a professional. You should be able to average 250 on a house pattern if they're so easy. Well, then I try to explain it to them again. It's completely different. I've went through years now of just training and practicing and bowling on nothing but tough conditions. I literally don't bowl any leagues. Sometimes I'll bowl a league once or twice a year just because a buddy of mine needs a sub. That's it. I will not bowl on house shots, and it's just because it's a different mindset, it's a different type of reaction than anything you bowl on flatter. When you're bowling on a league and you get this giant cliff where there's a ton of oil in the middle, and then there's very, very little to the right, you got free hook right, you got hold in the middle. A guy like me who has been training to be softer and and be real nice to the ball at the bottom of the swing, if I miss in on a flat pattern, I can – get that ball to push by missing it at the bottom. It's like a foul line adjustment. You sit there, your body knows at the line whether you're going to miss or not. If you're going to miss left, your body will tell you to miss it at the bottom. Mine does. It's just subconscious. If I miss it at the bottom on a tough pattern, I can get it to maybe even give it a chance to strike. If not at worst, it could be a four pin. If it's really bad, it's going to big four. On a league pattern, if I miss it at the bottom when I miss left, I'm washing out because there's so much volume in the middle. Now, being softer also, it goes the same way by throwing it to the right. If I miss to the right, now the softer hand actually reads that dry more true and continues off it stronger, whereas if somebody grabbed on it or a regular league bowler who just, they see everybody with all these high revs and all they want to do is hook it, you know, they just grab up on it as much as possible. If you miss in, it still hooks, it still gets through the pins. If you miss out, it actually hits the dry and burns up not necessarily burns up, but it doesn't come off of it as true. So it it gives that type of a thing more of an advantage. And everybody says, well, why can't you just adjust and do that? Well, because I've spent many, many years trying not to do that. I can't just turn my mind off and say, okay, when I miss in, make sure you grab it. And when I miss out, make sure I grab it." it. It doesn't happen like that. It's not possible for me. I've tried. I've tried just going out, throwing it everywhere. I've literally laid out every ball in the world I can think of in just different layouts, and I can't figure it out. So finally, I just came to a consensus that, you know what? I'm just not any good on these patterns, and I have a firm belief that those patterns, league patterns, are for league. That's why they are called league patterns. Tournaments are for tournament patterns. I mean, it's just, that's the way I differentiate it. I don't know what, I mean, other guys feel a lot the same, or I know I can think of hundreds of guys that feel the exact same way. Not very many people will actually come out and say it like I will, but that's just that's how it is.
1: Well, so, Jr., let me ask you, when we're bowling a tournament, like let's say it is on a little bit softer of a pattern, and taking that house guy, for example, over the long haul of a tournament, wouldn't, isn't the cream always going to rise to the top, so to speak? The, the better bowler is always going to... Gonna you know gonna find themselves at the top, or is it is it something where flu you know because you can average you know if you if you're not that great so to speak you know you can average 240 for three games, but averaging 240 for 12 sure. that's that's a little bit more of a challenge.
2: I agree, yeah. I mean, and that's another one of the arguments, and 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 you're not wrong. I mean, it's absolutely true. You make it a long enough format, you know, the cream will rise to the top, and it showed at the providers cup this past weekend. It showed, you know, the better bowlers that were there. You know, the guys that spent the time, actually, they did well. And that wasn't a house shot by any means, but they bowled on. You could tell by the scores, You could tell by reaction when you're watching. You know, Billy's done a really good job. of actually, I think he's weaning people off of that house shot. I think he's trying to make that just a little tougher every single year to get people to understand the difference and to get people to say, okay, well, last year was a little easier. This year's a little harder. Next year's probably going to be out. You know, I think that's what he's trying to do. Um, but yeah, in general, if the if the format's long enough, it doesn't matter. I think the cream will always rise to the top. I'm not going to argue that point. I think you are absolutely right on that. Um, and in that defense, I guess I I should rise to the top if that's the case. You know, I should be good enough to do it. I guess maybe I am mentally not strong enough when it comes to that pattern. I just don't feel like I can compete on it for some reason. So with that being said, that's why I didn't bowl. If I don't feel like I can compete, and I feel like I have to make major changes in my physical game. I mean, it's just, that's just a lot to go through, especially $550 to bowl on. I mean, I should be okay to bowl on everything. I probably should have bowled. But, I mean, i got to make a decision, and I'm literally leaving for El Paso tomorrow, and I didn't want to take a chance of screwing up angles or me doing something stupid. I mean, I don't know. It could have been a list of things. But, yeah, cream definitely rises to the top no matter what, as long as the format permits it.
1: Well, I want to get your thoughts because you brought up bowling on – you know, you, you, you brought up the bowling on, on tougher and challenging conditions. I'm going to throw the PBA shots in there, the you know the animal patterns and the you know all the patterns that they have. Although some of them do play a little bit easier. In fact, frankly, I think some of them sometimes break down easier than house patterns do if you're playing the lanes properly. Sure. Um, but here's a here's a, a conversation I had with the guy, and he kind of said, and I'm kind of paraphrasing here, but he said, um, people that bowl the regionals, you know, on a regular basis have the regional lineup. So they're going to bowl Cheetah this week. Well, they know what six or eight bowling balls or ten they're going to bring for Cheetah, Viper, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. How does that work for me when I have a whole – my whole arsenal is ten bowling balls and they're not set up specifically for pattern after pattern after pattern, and it seems like sometimes the PBA regional tour kind of gets to be in the same grind of just you know the same guys bowling them over and over, and you kind of get into the groove of knowing what to do, how to make the moves. I mean, does something need to be maybe retooled there to make it a little more of a challenge for you guys out there on the on the regional tour?
2: Well, well I mean, it's a little different out there too. You got to think um, the the level of talent that bowls a national stop or a regional stop is unbelievable. I mean, you're going to get a few guys that you know they're just there trying to experience it. They want to go bowl with these guys, um, but for the most part, you're you're talking about guys who. They know what they're doing. They know what balls to have all the time. Just like you said, they know exactly what balls to take and what what, what kind of surfaces they need. They look into what house it's at, what surfaces that it's on for the lanes. They, they just do all their research, and they've been around it for so long. You know, These guys know how to play the lanes, and they break them down properly. So you're right. They absolutely do get easier than house patterns for the most part. But the way they break down out there, it generates the, the correct amount of hold in the middle, and just enough little bump to the right that makes them super easy. They don't get overwalled. They don't get super cliff to where if you miss, then you two pin, or if you miss right, you big four. They don't quite get to that point. Sometimes they do. Uh, Sometimes they do break down quite a bit bad. I mean, and they did that to T O C. The T O C they got pretty overwalled there after a couple of games um, from those guys just breaking them down. But for the most part, I mean, I I think – using a little bit softer patterns at the regional level is probably the right thing to do because all you're trying to really do, I mean, that's just the, like the farm system for the PBA. You know, you want guys to go out there and give it a try. You know, you don't want them go out, going out there and averaging 150 and then saying, you know what, I'm never going to bowl a PBA event again. I can't, you know, compete with Eugene McCune or, you know, even the Jeff Riggles in that, in that region out in the Midwest. I mean, you've you got to make sure these guys want to go back. And I think that's what everybody's trying to accomplish they're wanting to find that mediocre-type pattern that's not real hard, but it's not easy either. You don't want to just give it away, but you don't want people beating their brains into where they don't want to go back and they just quit bowling. I mean, that's not any fun either, and I totally understand that. You know, proprietors and and everybody that's running these tournaments, they get into a situation that can't just make them dead, dead, dead hard, like super, super U.S. Open hard. They can't do that because then they will only get a few entries in the whole thing. And and the whole idea is to get people there, get bowlers there, so they can make some money on the whole thing. So you've got to do something, but you've got to also try and keep the integrity of not putting out a super wall where everybody can just strike forever. And all of a sudden you miss twice in a game and you're falling 20 pins back a game, you know? So (laughs) I think there's got to be, you know, there's got to be a balance there and I don't know the answers. And that's why, you know, I'm on Facebook And I make, you know, posts about this stuff, and I start discussion. I start debate. I start, you know, things Things need to be talked about. You can't just ignore things. Everybody always says, well, you got to stay positive. Well, everything is meant to be positive. We're having discussion about it. We think something is wrong in the game. It cannot be fixed just by ignoring it. You have to have discussions. Nobody comes up with solutions for anything by just ignoring it and saying, okay, it's going to fix itself. That's not how it works. So... I think I think everybody is on the right track. I think what Billy's doing with the providers cup, I, I really do like what he's done with that. Uh, even though I decided not to bowl, I decided not to bowl based on you know last year being pretty much a house shot and and what was going on there. So, um, yeah, it's uh, it, you just they got to find a way to find something mediocre that's not too hard, not too easy. To, to to appeal to the masses, I would say, so and try do, to gain more bowlers that way.
1: Do you think that can be done on the league level, or is is league bowling? I mean, you said you don't bowl league. Yeah, I'm getting to the point, frankly, out where I live, or that's kind of the next thought for me is I can get you know get my ten or fifteen practice games in on a challenging condition, and not even bowl league, and feel like I'm at a better place with my game. Can you see do Correct. you see a spot where League can you know, where we can get League back to what it maybe once was, or is League always just more gonna be recreational guys having, you know, a couple pitchers of beer throughout the night and that sort of thing?
2: You know what, I honestly I think that's probably the best I mean I could be wrong. Yeah, I've been known to be wrong before. <laughs> but I think that's the best way to do it is to just keep it a recreation thing. Um I think money ruined the sport, honestly. I think you know, everybody getting greedy and everybody wanting to make money and all this stuff. I mean, there shouldn't be, I, I guess there there can be money in amateur events and stuff like that. I, I just don't think there should ever be an event as for amateurs that is paying more or equal to a PBA event. And I think that's kind of what happened is people get money hungry. You get in these leagues and people are upset if they don't get any money back at the end of the year. So now you're paying leagues. Um, people that finished dead last in the league are getting, you know, this $15 less than the guys that finished second or third in the league. You know what I mean? And people are upset about that. So, I I, I mean, I, I think – I don't think you can do anything about the patterns in the league because uh, they tried. I think mean, USBC came out with that red, white, and blue thing, if I remember right. They were trying to come up with three different patterns for three different scenarios for leagues, um, and, the, and the sanctioned leagues needed to use these patterns. Well, from what I heard – a bunch of leagues and centers said we just won't sanction because if we make our patterns harder, they'll just go down the street and bowl at X Bowl or wherever they're going, you know. Because they're 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 not going to sanction because they want to keep them easy, you know. So that was the problem. So that's why I think that didn't go through. I don't know if that's true or not, but that that makes sense to me. Um, so I don't think we can do anything about leagues as a whole. I, I think I think the fun leagues are the way to go and just to get people into bowling and just trying it and making people understand but I like the scratch leagues and stuff are tough because you're going to bowl on house patterns and I hear people complain all the time about handicap ratios and people sandbagging and people going and bowling at one house because it's super hard and they can average 190 there and then go to handicap tournaments with a 190 average even though they've got the talent level to average 220 or 230 in any other house I mean I hear these complaints all the time and it's a big problem so that's why it's brought up that's why we talk about it and I don't know that there is a solution. I really don't. I, I don't know. And if there is, I don't know what it is. I, I just, we think about it all the time. We talk about it all the time. And we discuss it all the time. And hopefully one day there is a solution. We can figure it out. But right now, um I think we're in kind of a tight spot with that. And I don't see it changing anytime soon. I think the best thing that's happening right now in the bowling world is what's going on with the youth and how they're bringing up the youth. Somebody made a good point that. You know in order to make change, we got to start changing the people that are moving up with the youth, you know like uh, talking with Ryan Schaefer, he was talking about a big group that he was coaching while the proprietor stuff was going on, all youth bowlers and how they're excited to only bowl on tougher conditions and I think junior gold is doing a good job with that. They make them super tough out there. so if we're training these kids and our youth who are the next generation of bowlers to be bowling on tough stuff and not have them on these house patterns and and the over walls, or whatever you even want to call them, um, I, I think then we can slowly get ourselves into a better situation. To where now the majority is wanting that tougher pattern, whereas the guys who are, you know, just a little bit older than me, to their 60s, so 35 to 60 or so, who got introduced to these house patterns, and now they don't want their egos hurt. They don't want to. You know, they don't want to have it tougher because they don't, I mean, why would they? They're just there to have a good time. They want to be able to average 230. They don't want to be kicked in the face because they just pulled on a sport pattern. Now they're averaging 170. You know, so I think it all starts with the youth. And if we can get them trained properly, then leagues will be in a better place and tournaments will be in a better place. And then we won't have all these discussions about integrity and whether an easy shot should be used or a hard shot should be used because then I think everybody will want the tougher patterns.
1: Well, you bring up a great point because myself and Coach K, Steve Klemkin, we do a show every week, the Storm Collegiate Spotlight, where we talk to collegiate coaches, players, etc. And we hear constantly from the players that all they want to bowl on is tough. They're conditioned to bowl on tough shots when they're bowling in college. And like you said, junior goal in high school, like it, it continues. And a lot of guys even there, and I won't you know name names, but they even said the same thing where they don't bowl leagues because they don't want to go out and bowl league shots an average 240 or, or whatever—it's just not fun for them. For, fun for them is is learning and improving their skills, so that when they go out on the weekends and bowl tournaments, they're going to have a chance to compete with the JRs of the world and the you know Parkers and the like you said the Eugenes and such. You're not going to get that necessarily when you go out and bowl a league against Joe Bowler and you know average 230. But like you said, you have you know you have three boards to hit, and they all have arrows on them. So I think right. you're right. I think that's a, a great point and something that is it's working that way and then it's getting the proprietors. And here's one thing too, you know, if you're young and you're listening to this, talk to your proprietors, tell them, Hey, I'm, you know, kind of ask for a sports shot. Say, I got a group of guys. We want to bowl on sports stuff because if, if we don't hear, you know, if they don't hear from us, they're just going to keep doing the status quo because they're going to think it's working.
2: Right. I agree. I mean, it, it's, it, I mean, if you think about it, like I always use golf as a comparison, I don't see golf being that much different than bowling, but, you don't see, like, I made a post the other day about going and talking to my president of the Golf League and asking them to get rid of all the trees and the bunkers on the course and making the rough shorter and the the hole of the holes should be the whole size of the green because I don't think it's fair that the pros out there can kick my butt on these courses all the time. I should, it should be a fair playing field, so make it easy for everybody and we're good. I made that post and I mean, it started a big debate and stuff. Because that's what, that's what it boils down to, and that's what a lot of the, the, the bowlers in, the, in this generation right now are asking for. They think they should get them easier. Well, you don't see golfers doing that. You don't see golfers saying, well, I'm not going to play this course because you know, it's super hard. No, if anything, they're saying, I'm going to pay extra money to go to this course because it's an ultra, it's an ultra challenge, and that's really fun it's just a completely different mindset and I don't understand how we got so different from that mindset. I don't understand why golfers want the challenge and golfers are okay with, you know, shooting really high scores or, you know, poor scores, I should say, rather than, you know, going to some super easy par three course and shooting sixties, you know, they don't, they'd rather have a true average than having, you know, a blown up average that, is isn't isn't real.
1: Coming up now is a quick update with Bowling This Month owner, Bill Semsrott. Hello, everyone. I've got three great new Bowling This Month articles I'd like to highlight this time. First, we've got USBC Gold coach Joe Slowinski with an article detailing the anatomy of the hand and how you can utilize his new fitting technique to achieve a more natural grip that can help reduce tension and pressure. Next, we've got a new article from Dr. Chris Masano exploring the topic of gamesmanship and how you can make sure you're not a victim in your next head-to-head match. And finally, we've got an article from Heather Diarico about the importance of post-workout recovery and how you can balance your bowling training and your fitness training without overdoing it. For all this and more, please visit BowlingThisMonth.com where you can sign up for a no-obligation free trial. Back to you, Tim. Great stuff, Bill. Again, check out BowlingThisMonth.com for all those articles and more. Final question for you. You said you're heading out to El Paso, so we're probably going to get this up right around the time you're bowling. I know you're driving, so it'll probably be up, and I'll send you the podcast, and you can put it on for the guys in the van, and you guys can have a good old chuckle. But let's talk about one of the things that I, I always bring up, I like to bring up with guys, and you're very opinionated on things. But the whole rule regarding PBA bowlers bowling the USBC.
2: Well, I mean, if you look at the name of the tournament, it's called USBC Open Championships. Well, it's not really an open tournament if you're not letting certain people bowl. I don't think, I don't think there should be restrictions on anybody bowling anything. I don't think any of that matters because you you got a pro shop operator who paid their three hundred dollars or whatever it is to get their PBA card. Well, now he's got three cards on his team. Well, now one of those guys can't bowl because you're only allowed two PBA cards. Well, the guy that has that PBA card is he is he I mean is he truly a professional bowler? I mean, he may he may not have ever bowled a professional event in his life, or he may may have never bowled a competitive tournament other than USBC, USBC tournament. You know, so, I mean, there's no way to differentiate... Different, that dang word. <laughs> now, how do you say that? Differentiate. differentiate. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> there's no way to do that between professionals and amateurs at this level. So... I mean, I just don't think... And that all goes back to what I said before. I don't think there should be money in amateur events, or if there is money, it should just be very, very small amounts because you need those smaller tournaments to get people the experience of bowling and all that stuff, be able to get to that level of getting to the professional levels. Because I don't know a whole lot of other other sports that really, really offer money in the amateur status, and the amateur levels. You know, I mean, I had somebody say they've made money in darts and all this of stuff. Well, I asked them, I said... But did you make as much in that tournament that you played in horseshoes or darts as you would in a professional event? Did you make a million dollars for your tournament? And they're like, well, of course not. Well, that's the difference. You're not playing for the same type of money, you know, so you're not, you're not going to attract all the professionals to play in that tournament. You see what I mean? So if you're, if you want to make a USBC Open Championship tournament, maybe Maybe all that prize money isn't the way to go. Well, the problem with that is if that prize money isn't there, nobody's going to see the benefit of going because of the way the economy is. If somebody doesn't, I mean, you have a large group that go just because they love going. It's a vacation for them and that's great. I think that's awesome. Um, but some, I mean, if, if there's no money involved, how many people do you lose? Like, how many bowlers do you lose in the world if you take away money in amateur events? You know, if they can't bowl for money, why, why do they even bowl? You know, people think of it. So I think that was kind of screwed up back in the day when they decided that, you know, anybody could fall for money at any time. Um, And I could be wrong. I I don't know. It's just my opinion. I I could be way off base here. That's just how I see it.
1: Well, yeah, and Um, I guess my my opinion, and you can tell me what you think of this, is that work, the USBC, and you see this even for me on the local level, is people are preparing for the worst case scenario, which would be the worst case is you know you get chris barnes pete weber norm duke you know five cards on one team of that sort and they go in there and just shoot 3800 and you know and win and then amateurs say well why would i bowl this if these five people can bowl together which we all right. probably know these guys aren't going to gang up like that anyways because they want to bowl with their their buddies they're just i mean they're human they're just like you and i they, they're not going to bowl with people necessarily just because they're they're a good bowler. They want to bowl with people they want to be around, and people that can, you know, then that are they're fun to be with, you know, basically. So, um, so that's that's just my thought I, on on why they kind of, you know, again, looking at the worst case versus the best case.
2: Yeah, I think uh, I think it all comes down to regulations from whenever the whole thing started. Um, I think if there was a way to tell the difference between a true professional bowler and an amateur bowler, it wouldn't be a problem because then you would just. You know, if it's a if it's truly a USBC Open Championship amateur event, then you could just say no PBA members allowed, because if the PBA had certain standards, um, you had to you had to bowl so many regionals and make so much money before you could become a member. You know, something whatever it has to be, then then you would have a different you would have difference between professionals and amateurs, and then you could then there wouldn't be that problem at all. Then there wouldn't be any professionals in it at all. But right now. You can't tell the difference because, like, like say Adam Barta, for instance, and that guy makes probably more money than most professional bowlers do because he just runs around, does all his local stuff, and a few of the bigger amateur events, and just runs brackets over, and he makes good money doing it. Well, he's considered an amateur by status because he doesn't have a PBA card, but if you ask the IRS, what are they going to say? You're a professional bowler. So how do we even look at that? How do we tell the difference? That's the
1: problem. Well, and even some people, I mean, just you can get your PBA card, and if you practice enough, the dollar a game practice, frankly, itself is worth it. In a lot of cases, you know, with the lineage that a lot of these places are charging, except for PBA members. So, yeah, you you bring up a very valid point and, yeah, something that, you know, may need to be looked in. And, you know, it was funny. It was probably about a year ago, maybe a little over that, when I I asked Ms. Chris Barnes a a yes or no question about will – you know, will they remove the restrictions on on the USBC Open Championships? And his answer was yes. And he didn't even think about it. So... You know, they they may be moving that way or not. But anyways, Jr. it was great chatting with you. And by all means, you know what we're going to have to do? We're going to have to get you because I can tell you like to talk. You have your opinions, like you said, on Facebook. But we're going to have to get you and and maybe a couple other folks involved, too, and just have a nice little chat about things. Final thing before we go, though. um, Talk about, uh, you know, Ebonite and your sponsorship with them and just kind of, you know, like I said, you're going out to El Paso. Talk about, you know, some of your arsenals and what you're liking in that uh, EBI brand right now.
2: Yeah, we... uh actually just come out with nine different bowling balls through all of the EBI brands and I don't even know that I could tell you every single one of them because I don't have them all yet um, but a few that actually stick out to me, I'm looking at right now, just came in the mail was the, the, uh, the Paradox was the new track ball. I've heard nothing but good things about it, I really haven't seen it much yet um, but I'm pretty excited about that The uh, we have the new Red Legend Solid and the severe delirium i drove both those out at the summer swing um and they are unbelievable the uh the the red legend solid is exactly what you would hope for i mean it's it's literally in between the red legend pearl or so the red legend itself and the like the original legend the black one so it's literally in between those for me maybe even a little stronger than the, than uh um earlier than the black one i would say Full motion, full, full motion-wise, it's it's in between the two. Um, but yeah, I have four different game breakers going with me out to El Paso because that's the ball that everybody says has been striking out there, and that's what that's all used in. Yeah, a couple different game breakers between that and the bad intentions. So I'm looking forward to throwing up a couple of new balls and taking them out there before we hit team on the 19th. I believe we ball at five o'clock on the 19th and then doubles and singles sometime on the 20th. I don't even know what times I got to drive out there for 25 hours. So that'll be fun. <laughs> but other than that, yeah, I'm, I just, I haven't even been on staff with these guys for very long and I've probably made more money and done better with this stuff than I have <laughs> in anything else in this, just this past six months I've been on staff now. So I'm excited to see what this new stuff comes, new stuff coming out is going to do for us. It's going to be pretty cool.
1: Best of luck, JR. And uh, by all means, also, don't want to forget, you know, want to mention Bowl the Bowler's Journal and the BTM and the other side events out there, the 40-frame game, all sorts of stuff to bowl, not just the main event, there's side events. So check all those. Step over and say hi to Rick Ramsey at the BTM and the inside, um, the, the uh, nine-pin tournament that's going on as well. Lots of stuff to bowl in El Paso and safe travels, okay?
2: All right, thank you. I appreciate it.